Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. My fellow Mets fans, this is Rich Sparago, known as Met Fan Rich and CT Mets Fan on Twitter, and I welcome you to the 63rd edition of the Metsian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. Um, well, this is a week that is brought to you by 2020 in Metsville. Uh, something that you know, six seven months ago, we never thought would be possible, but. The Mets lost some games to coronavirus, and we'll talk a lot about that. Uh, We'll talk about the team in general and and how they had been playing and where they go from here. And then we'll touch on the number 63, which corresponds to the number of the podcast. And and we might even talk a little bit about the 1963 baseball season in New York. So we have a lot to talk about. And I can't do it myself, so let me bring on my my co-contributors to the podcast first. We'll start in Brooklyn, um, and we'll bring on Mr. Mike LaCollin. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Rich. Chugging right along. How are you, sir? I'm well. A weird, you know, weird because so many weekends we didn't have sports, and then we had it for a few weeks, and, well, there are sports on, but the Mets weren't on today. So it, it felt a little strange, to be honest. I just felt fallen into mm. a pattern. And uh, so we'll talk a lot about that, and, and to help us do that, We'll bring on the guy who um, who birthed this concept uh, many years ago when we were all under a different title, but uh, birthed the concept of a podcast, and it was seven and a half years ago. And we call him the COO, CEO, and Grand Poopa <laughs> of the Metsian podcast, Mr. Sam Maxwell. So, Sam, how and where are you tonight? Well, thank you, Rich. And as it would have it, uh, fate has brought me to the corner of Bedford Avenue and Sullivan Place, where... Uh, the only dock for the city bike I am riding was available, uh, but unfortunately, even when I get here, that dock is broken. So, fate has brought me to Bedford and Sullivan, but at some point during this podcast, I will be venturing somewhere else to dock this city bike that I have been taking around this lovely borough of Brooklyn today. Well, isn't that a first? You know, we've had Sam on when he's been mobile, when he's been working and, you know, driving along, whether it was Manhattan or whether it was Brooklyn or even upstate. But now he's on a bike. I did not know that. And so, Sam, um, thanks for bringing a new wrinkle into the podcast. Absolutely. And uh, shameless plug, you know, fate brought me to Bedford and Sullivan, which is the title of the project that I'm trying to get off about the Brooklyn and their Dodgers. And one thing I will say is that uh, when it comes to the Mets, I will focus solely on the Mets, unlike the other Brooklyn Dodger fan affiliated with the Mets out there. <laughs> um, 
And it's interesting because you're doing a city bike, and, and uh, it brings me back to my days of going to Mets games, which seemed like forever ago, but just last season, when City Bike was a sponsor. So um, it kind of all comes together. So, so, gentlemen, thanks for joining tonight. And I guess we absolutely have to start here. And let's start with the fact that um, on Thursday afternoon, lineup was posted. Mets were looking for a sweep of the fish down in Miami. Fates were looking pretty good for the Mets. They had won three in a row. And, you know, three solid ball games in a row. We could talk about a few things that went wrong, but we'll get to that. And then all of a sudden, about uh, just before 5 o'clock, we get word that the Mets had some – we didn't know how many. We knew that there was positive COVID tests and that that night's game was canceled and most likely the opener of the Subway Series would be canceled as well. So time went along, and we found out that – a little more information that it was one player still unidentified, one coach still unidentified, and that the remainder of the Subway Series would also be postponed. So the Mets have now missed four games. Um, Major League Baseball has now lost 36 games in total to coronavirus issues, you know, shutting teams down and such. Um, The Mets are the fourth team in baseball to have actual positive tests on the team. The first one was, of course, the Marlins, and they had the 18. Uh, Then the Cardinals had a few. I think it was, uh, I don't don't remember the number, but they had less than 18, but but a good number. I think it was double digits. Then the Cincinnati Reds had one, and now the Mets. And so a lot to talk about here, and and Sam, I'll start with you. Um, So... I don't know. What, what was your exact thought when you heard that the Mets had uh, COVID on the team? And, and I guess, you know, the postponing of games is sort of inconsequential. But let me tell you mine, and I'll kind of tee you up and let you go. Sure. You know, c- coronavirus <laughs> to me in baseball was something that was happening to other teams. It was like, you know, I roll. You know, the Marlins couldn't keep themselves uh, we couldn't keep themselves behaving. And the Cardinals, maybe we heard about the casino, and it's like, oh, I roll, okay. But now it hit my team, and you know, I, I live about an hour from New York City, and now it's close to me. And um, and it really kind of rattled me a little bit. You know, that affected. Now it's my team. It's like, whoa, whoa, that wasn't supposed to happen. So, Sam, what was your reaction initially? Well, I had a bigger re- <clears throat> excuse me. I had a bigger reaction just now when you said thirty-six games across the entire schedule. I mean, that's something that I hadn't really considered in terms of like the overall projection of, of what has gone on. And now that it, and, and can we just like clear up? Like, I, I think it's close to impossible that it was strictly the Miami trip that did it. So can we just like clear that up? Because everybody wants to blame Miami and it does seem ponderous that it happened during that trip. But I mean, how good are these tests getting that, that, the second that they land in Miami within, I mean, these, uh, basically probably the results that they are going off of had to be like two days into the Miami trip at best. Right. So I just don't see how Miami necessarily had anything specifically to do with it. I think it's just what we're living in right now. Um, again, I don't know how they're going to be making all these games up. I mean, what is going, if, if, if this is how they're going to be going over it with, um, uh, winning percentages, then they better come up with a better – it's not exactly a tiebreaker, but you understand what, our, what I'm going for when I say tiebreaker type thing, like just some type of rules that give 
certain advantages to the team that, that were affected by this in, in some ways. And I, I don't think I'm just saying that in terms of, of being a Mets fan. I think that this is weird circumstances, and if at, at some point you're not going to be able to play all of these games out in some sort of capacity. And it seems like they're going to try to do it all in these seven-inning games, but even that's compromised. So I don't exactly know what to think. I don't exactly, you know, what I know is that I did love baseball. I mean, I, you know, I tweeted out Ahmed Rosario lifting his leg before the pitch was out of the pitcher's hand. I was, I was, we were talking about baseball. I was analyzing Ahmed Rosario's swing and, and when it was good. So, like, good things were happening, and that's, that's one of the things I really miss right now. Yeah, no, totally. And, and um, so, Mike, let, let's go to you. Um, I know you're, you're currently uh, at home for the moment, and, and so, you know, there you are. I assume you were, uh, as they say in the South, fixing to watch the Mets on Thursday night. And you hear about this. So, so how did it land on you? What, what were your thoughts, and what are your thoughts now? Well, you know, we were, we were getting healthy against the fish, you know. Fish are good for health, so they say. Now we got a plane of fish headed towards New York this week. Let's see how that goes. Sam, unfortunately, Florida and Miami in particular, they got the cooties. You know how that goes. Everyone's going to rattle against them, uh, rightly or wrongly. So that's just life, and that's human nature. So, yeah, they're responsible for this. You know, but we know that's not the case. We don't know where and when uh, the Mets personnel contracted. So, you know, that's the rational thought of this. But, yeah, Florida has the cooties. And I say that in jest, but I also say that in total seriousness because I've had my sister here for the last three months. She lives in Florida. And now tomorrow she's hopping to fly back to Florida. You don't think I'm worried? I'm almost in a panic that she's going back to Florida. Well, bringing this back to baseball, uh, again, we were doing well against the Marlins, and we know that team at this very moment is somewhat unrecognizable because of the cases that they've, that they've had and, and all the roster adjustments that they had to make after that. We lost the Subway Series this weekend between the Mets and the Yankees. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, 10% of Major League Baseball has now had games postponed due to or related to coronavirus. Uh, that's a lot. That's a third of your league. You know, I think some of this was inevitable. Uh, and some of it, you know, is, is chance and odds, I guess. So resuming baseball, yeah, I'm all for it. But we have a team leaving a state that's out of control and, and been out of control. If you compare it to the way we handled things here, Rich, you in Connecticut, me here in New York City, Sam sometimes here, there, and everywhere. But the tri-state area did a damn good job of combating this virus, whereas Florida did a piss-poor job of doing it from beginning uh, till this very second. And we got a lot of personnel hopping on, getting on a plane and coming to New York City, landing at LaGuardia, and, you know, I just have my fingers crossed for flushing. That's exaggeration. I'm having a little bit of fun at their expense you know, and, and and not being too serious about this. But, you know, there, therein lies the rub. This is a serious matter. 
coronavirus is no joke. So on the one hand, I, I laugh at jokes that I don't play, but let's get back to baseball and see what we can do. Uh, where, where in, I guess, this whole season is one giant uncharted sea. We don't even know what tomorrow brings. You know, like you say, Rich, last week, Wednesday night, we were watching Mets Marlins, and then wham, cancellation come Thursday and cancellation of the weekend. So let's just cross our fingers, hope for the best, and I wish uh, that one Mets player and, and the organizational employee, I wish them well and I wish them health. Yeah, and that's about all we can do at this point, you know. Um, so, and, you know, it, it kind of, it, it was cold water thrown in your face, right? Because, like I was saying before we went on the air, we were just getting into a rhythm of, of sports were back, you know, watching, and, and let's focus on the Mets, fo- watching baseball, watching our team, and then, and it's like, okay, great, okay, you know, it's a little weird with no fans, but okay, Gary, Keith, and Ron, it kind of feels normal, I'm settling into this, this is good, and then it was like, bam, you know, you're not in Kansas anymore, this is not like anything we've ever seen in our lives, now it's our team, now our team is going to be shut down, we don't know for how long, and, and and let's let's get to that because, you know, we don't know at this point if the Mets are going to play Tuesday night. Now, we do know that the tests administered to the guys who came back to New York and the ones who remained in Florida all are showing negative for the people, not the people who have who, uh, the two who have the virus, but for the con- people on the contact tracing and then everybody who was allowed to come back to New York. So everybody except those two individuals from what I'm reading, and you guys are probably reading the same, all negative tests. So I'm not sure. So that was Friday and Saturday. I don't know if they were tested again today and if that's the, the uh, you know, the marker where if they're negative again that the Mets could resume Tuesday night. I haven't, I've been stalking Twitter and stalking the writers and haven't seen a thing on that. Um, so here we are. You know, the Mets might be playing baseball 48 hours from now. They might not. We just don't know. And And that is, that's 2020. You know, it's anything could happen. It's like it's like a horror movie. You open any door, and that's where the monster could be. And, and so let's get to that. Let's talk about. Well said. Let's. What's that? No, I just said well said. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'll, throw, so, all right. I'll throw one thing out, Rich. I'll throw one thing out there, and this is per the New York Post. I'm reading. Team released a statement Saturday night, saying two rounds of COVID-19 tests taken by the traveling party from the New York to Miami late in the week have all turned negative. So that's it. Exactly. So, and I don't know, is it three? Is three the magic number? Then you could go back to playing. I mean, I don't know what it is. And so, and so I'm not sure if the Mets know if they're playing Tuesday night or not. And I don't know what has to happen. So again, we, we're all in the dark here. and We're just waiting. I saw um, a tweet from the Mets themselves about four o'clock this afternoon that said that same thing that you just said, Mike, that, you know, two rounds of tests all negative and we're going to wait word for major league baseball as to what's next. So, so we sit and we wait and we figure it out, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about baseball. Talk about logistics here. The St. Louis Cardinals, right? They are looking at trying to play 55 games in 43 days. Insanity. I mean, a bunch of double headers, no off days, that kind of thing. Now, hopefully the Mets don't miss that many games and have to do something like that. But this is where we are with this season is, you know, these COVID things are popping up. Hopefully this is the last one, by, by all means, for everybody's health. 
But if these things continue to pop up, you're going to have situations where teams are going to be asked to do ridiculous things like 53 games in 44 days. And we may get to a point where, and I think it's pretty likely, that teams might not play the same number of games and we might have to go by winning percentage to award the eight playoff spots. Now, Mike, you made a great point months ago about the, um, the 81 season, and I did some research on that. And we saw that, you know, that teams played different numbers of games, and it was in halves that year. So, you know, this team was declared the winner. I think the, a poignant example of that is the Dodgers were declared the winner of the first half because that's when the strike happened, and the Reds were in second place only because they played one fewer game. Dodgers played one more game and won that game, right? So let me ask you this. Everybody's saying, oh, you know, there's no integrity in this season anyway. But if they do have to go with winning percentage, right, because these games can't be made up, how do I say this? Uh, So whatever integrity the season had, do you think we just say, look, it's the way it is. We'll use winning percentage. If you don't like it, tough. Or do you say to yourself, if teams are going to play different numbers of games, awarding playoffs on winning percentage, that's the final straw for you, and this season is a complete joke. So, Sam, why don't you start with that? Well, I mean, first of all, I think that you have to throw this integrity talk out the window. I think that's a hashtag. Um, I, I think that everybody's in the same boat as we keep, we keep saying. Um, so one way or another, the players still have to push through the adversity. So whoever comes out on top – had to be champions of a very adverse-ridden season. So I want to just dispel that idea because I think one way or another, um, I, I think we have to get rid of that and, and just enjoy whatever baseball we have, and hopefully they're able to get through the playoffs, uh, which is, of course, their most int- intended goal. Um, Yeah, it's going to be unfair, but at the same time, you're compiling stats. You're getting yourselves ready for the next season. You're you're staying in shape. Um, Unless things really get out of hand, I'm still for continuing to push and also, again, dispelling this idea that the integrity is lost because as we're clearly seeing in front of us, and we really do see every day one way or another, life is short, we have no idea – how long we are going to live and what is the point of talking about the, you know, fucked up integrity of the 2020 season. Let's just play baseball and hopefully we can keep going with it. Great point. Mike, take it from there. It's weird. Uh, It's weird. Look, creativity still needs to rule the day. Like I say, you know, this whole season has been one, fluid action and, and it's still that way and Rich I think you're dead on I think at the end of the season we are going to have teams uh, and they will have played an uneven amount of games percentage will ultimately make its way into decisions as far as who makes the playoffs and who doesn't but getting back to creativity I think a hybrid playoff involving a round robin use that to get you to a final four and then a championship. If you think about it, look, we have everybody, everybody, all teams are playing a limited amount of opponents. Some of them far into your league, some of them, you know, common from your division. 
we're not used to playing the Yankees all the time. We're not used to playing the Red Sox and the Orioles and these guys all the time. And these are our common opponents this season. So in order to just make it more fair, flatten out, you know, and, and make it fair for everybody, instead of this definitive first round or whatever, you have a hybrid round robin. And, and I think it, that makes it more fair for everybody involved and let that decide your final four and then let that decide your, your final two. So I guess, Rich, before you uh, go on to the next question, let me ask you this, and then maybe we can go around. Um, is what, what is the cutoff? You know, there's always like a minimum plate appearance, minimum amount of at-bats for qualifying for a certain thing. What is going to, like, is there going to be somebody who has enough of a winning percentage but gets, gets disqualified for the amount of games? Like, I guess these are the questions we have to ask. They are, and they haven't been figured out yet. And that's where, that's where the rubber will hit the road. Because, I, look, I... I don't see how the Cardinals can do this. I guess they're going to try. But if we end up with teams not playing the same number of games, do we say that, you know, 55 at minimum, you know, to, to, to qualify? But then what if you played 53? Those 53 games don't count. I mean, you're, you're people who watch them and people who, you know, the advertising dollars and all that. Ah, oh, we were just kidding. We didn't play 53 games, so we don't qualify. That would be a huge black eye. But there are no answers at this point. And, and I, but you're right. And, and the word integrity has to be used in quotes because it's not a 162-game season. It's not close. But if you look at 2020, and I agree with everything you said, Sam, let's just enjoy it. This is freaking entertainment. You know, 170,000 people are dead of coronavirus. You know, let, let's keep this as entertainment. But with integrity in quotes, you know, you don't want to make it a joke either. You know, you want to have some kind of, of integrity to the season. And that's a great question you pose, and there's not an answer yet. There's not, you know, about at what point is is it too few to qualify, and would they even do that? Would they even say, is is it a good faith effort to play all the games you can and then winning percentage? We just have to figure that out. So let's move to a related topic. You know, I think someone said a moment ago that the playoffs are where they make their money, and that clearly is true. So there is a there is a notion out there that baseball is learning about this, right? As clearly they are, and um, and the thought is that when they get to the playoffs, they can't afford to have the playoffs stop and start, that they might bubble, like the NBA and NHL are doing, that they might, you know, who, who knows where. Maybe it's San Diego or whatever, wherever. And they bubble and they do the playoffs there, which makes a ton of sense because while they're saying that the first round, the best of three round, would be all in one place, you know, the, the, the uh, team with the better record would host all three games. But let's just say it's the Mets and Dodgers after that. They'll be going coast to coast for a five-game series, just like the old days. And, you know, more travel, more airplanes, more hotels, more chance of coronavirus. So now they're saying, well, what if we bubble for the playoffs and, you know, to keep guys insulated for, from that and, and try to minimize the odds of an outbreak? So, Michael, I'll start with you. Do you think that's a good idea or do you think that is uh, – or you think that's like throwing in an idea like, oh, having the oh shit moment, and like, oh, God, teams are getting COVID, we have to bubble. Do you think it's more about that, or do you think it's actually a really well-thought-out good idea? I've been a proponent of bubbling since day one. I thought the league should have bubbled up to start the season in a couple of cities, New York being one of them with two stadiums, and Chicago uh, and L.A. for that matter. They could have segregated everything. They could have bubbled teams up there and have all the games facilitated in the local region with two available stadiums. I think bubbling is a great idea. Simple, simple. 
So you're for it. Sam, how about you? Uh, yeah, for the playoffs for certain. Um, I, I mean, I see where Mike was going with, like, the different types of bubbles, the regional bubbles, uh, which would have potentially been a good idea, you know. Um, uh, do I like from a recognizable standpoint the fact that uh, they're at their stadiums? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, again, this is going to be going to the entire idea that I was talking about, that everybody's in the same boat. So if you have in a, in a neutral spot, everybody's playing on the same level playing field. It's going to be strange and not what we're accustomed to in, you know, in terms of like most of baseball history has to do with the, the playing factor of your hometown. Um, but that, again, it is what it is. So unfortunately, this is what we got to do. I think they have to, and I think they will. And I, and I think what will be driving it as much as <laughs> – It'll be packaged as player safety, and I think it, it is to a degree, but I think the fact they don't want to lose the revenue will be, you know, the primary driver, that they'd be terrified that the playoffs start and stop. Because then what would you do? You don't want to play them in November, December. What if you have to stop for three weeks because the team had an outbreak in the playoffs? You just, you, it would absolutely ruin everything. So I think they will bubble it. I know that they're talking about it. One of the players, uh, Paxton, said this week that, well, we haven't agreed to that yet. Okay, fine, but they're talking about it. You know, they haven't agreed yet because it's just not final, but at least they're talking about it. I think it does make sense. I'm with you guys on that. All right, so let's move the discussion to the Mets themselves, a little bit of the the on-the-field stuff. Um, Let's start here. So the Mets, we talked about this last week, got swept by the Phillies. Disgusting. I mean, the Phillies, their bullpen ERA, we all know, is well over nine. And I've watched them play the Braves all weekend, and the Braves are torching their bullpen, and the Mets couldn't do that. Okay. Mets go to, go to Miami, and they play, you know, they have three good games. They win all three, blow out on Monday, um, and then a so- solid wins on Tuesday and Wednesday, although here's what I want to talk about. So when we were getting ready to watch the Mets on Thursday night, it was going to be interesting because Seth Lugo was going to start the game. Okay. A lot of controversy on that, and that's where I want to go. So the Mets, their rotation is in shambles. They need a starter with all the injuries, and they've tabbed Seth Lugo. So you can look at this one of two ways. You could say, why are we weakening the bullpen, which actually has gotten pretty good, and taking the most effective reliever we have and making him a starter? The other argument is he's a good arm. He's, you know, he's, he gets people out, and we have no starters. We need him to be a starter. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to look at it from any angle you want, um, and I will throw this in that when Lugo wasn't available Wednesday night because he was getting set to start Thursday, what happened? Diaz goes in the game, blows the lead on Jake. Yes, the Mets win the game, but okay, I just thought I'd throw that in. So, Mike, where are you with making Lugo a starter, and tell me why you feel that way. Wow. Uh, First of all, necessity is the mother of all invention. You know, I'm 50-50 about keeping him in the bullpen or making him a starter. What I will say about Lugo is that he wants to start. So motivation plays a big factor in performance, I think. But Steven Matz, uh, his performance warrants him being taken out, taken out of the rotation, at least for the short term. Uh, so sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, the opponents of taking or or placing Lugo into the rotation, I think might have to take the back seat on this. Rojas may not have a choice 
when you hear some of these numbers, you're going to be shocked about Matt's, if I may. Let me take a second. From his rookie season in 15 through 18, he, he, he utilized his fastball at a rate of 62%. Since last season into this season, he's only thrown it at a rate of 51%. Do the math. Okay? Over his first four seasons, he uses changeup at only a rate of 12.7%. Starting last season into this season, last season it was at 20%, and this year it's up to 27%. That's the repertoire. Now, here's the damage. Oh, boy. You would think he's in the midst of his prime, okay? He brought into the season a 9.1 hits per nine innings average. Right now, that's his number is two and a half above his career average. Right now, that number is at 11.7 hits per nine innings pitched. That isn't hittable. That's smashable. But it gets worse. His line drive percentage. He brought into the season a career 19.7 line drive percentage. This year, uh, excuse me, yeah, that was his career. His last two seasons have been his best marks. Uh, two years ago, he posted a 15.4% line drive average, and then last year, a 19.8% line drive average. This season, it's up to 28.8, which is 8.7 above his career average. His hard, and this is all fan graphs, his hard hit percentage is at an all-time high of 42.7. He had never broken the 40 percentile previous to this season. I hope everyone caught up with that. But the short version is he's getting smashed. He's using his fastball 20% less, his changeup 20% more, and he's getting beaten up. Perhaps him and our rookie pitching coach need to go to the side and rethink this change-up philosophy and get him back to what he does best. And what makes it more ponderous is that this season, his fastball has been clocked at a career high for him at 94.7 miles an hour. So removing him from the rotation is warranted. And for now, you just might have to plug Lugo into the rotation. Very fair. Sam, the Mets, mm-hmm. when they are good, it is the pitching that drives it. 1969, 1973, 86, it was both for sure. But generally, the Mets are a pitching organization. That's my point. If I told right. you that the rotation right now is the inimitable Jacob deGrom, followed by the likes of Robert Gesellman, uh Rick Porcello, and you know, and uh, and Stephen Matz, who you know, who's uh, who has been taken out of the rotation, but and for the reason that Mike just just clearly outlined. If I told you that's what the Mets rotation looked like right now, um, what would you say to that? And would and with that said, and would you ever believe we'd be having this conversation about taking Lugo, and making him a starter? What are your thoughts? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, how exciting it was that day where he not only 
uh, only gave up two runs, uh, but also drove in about four of seven runs the Mets scored that day. Um, unfortunately, the two runs that he gave up, he carried with him too far into his career. And we have kept saying that there's something up there that is not working necessarily, uh, you know. And mind you, you know, if, if there is something wrong, you know, I hope he can get it checked out. And at the same time, it's complete speculation on our part. We're only basing it off body language, off of, of the starts that we've seen where he seems to get rattled when things don't start going his way. And... Um, that he's the crux of this, what you just talked about, uh, saying that if we looked at it the way it is now, we couldn't believe ourselves. I mean, he, he right there goes right smack into stabilizing this force. And unfortunately, the hometown kid has just not been able to figure it out in the Mets uniform. No, he has not. And it's led to Corey Oswalt getting starts and Gesellman going two innings, right? And he hasn't been stretched out yet. And, and, you know, I want to weigh in here on Lugo because I get it. They need an arm. I totally get that. Um, It does weaken the bullpen. We saw Diaz cough up the lead on Wednesday night. It does when you don't have Lugo to go to. And then the other part of it is we're assuming that Lugo is going to be an effective starter. We, we don't know that. We know he's an effective reliever, though. We do know that. And we also know that it's going to take some time for him to get stretched out. We've got exactly from today five weeks left in this season. It's going to take him two of those weeks to get stretched out, if not longer. So I'm wondering if I, – I see it both ways. And I'm wondering if, if it's really the right thing to do. Um, and then the question becomes, well, if it's not Lugo, who? And I, that's a great question. I don't have an answer to that. Um, hopefully Waka comes back. But does it seem like he's fallen off the table? And where is he? Nobody talks about him and his progress. I haven't heard anything. So, <laughs> no. you know, the Mets are scrambling. Like, he went into this never-never land. Like, well, how come we're not getting an update on how he's doing? I, I think it you – know, and to me, no news is bad news, right? Go ahead, Mike. You know, Rich, I didn't think of it that way. I think you bring up a great point, and you just might have to leave Lugo in the bullpen, as you say. And so far as stretching him out, we don't have that time. We don't have that luxury. He might have to stay in place. That's a great point. But then, but then again, who who starts, right? I mean, do you do bullpen games? Well, the Rays do it. They do it all the time. They do it effectively. Chasen Shreve, who's like a, an unsung hero on this team, he's shown he can yeah. go you know, multiple innings. So if you can get three out of him... And maybe go and let's to just also say they haven't. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what the record is, and if anybody who's not walking outside right now can look it up, um, I, 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 they've been pretty good with these piece together, uh, piecemeal games, if you will. They have, they have, but you can't do it all the time. I mean, you can't consistently have a bullpen game because that means you're going to use four pitchers probably in that game. And, and, you know, you only – yes, they have more bullpen arms than usual because of the, the roster. But at the same time, you know, you, you can't – I'm not sure that's a sustainable strategy. I don't know how the hell the Rays do it, but somehow they do. Um, but anyway, all right. So with Lugo, it sounds like, you know, Mike, you're probably in favor, maybe, you know, kind of thinking about it. 
Sam, it, it sounded like you were kind of uh, kind of for it too, and and I get it. I mean, look, I, I don't want to see Corey. I know he pitched okay, but I don't really want to see a lot I'll, of Corey. I'll touch, I'll touch. I'll touch on Seth Seth Lugo uh, precisely. Um, he hasn't historically seemed to go much longer than five or six innings, but that's what we're talking about right now. That's kind of the game. And it might be that this is where baseball is evolving to, is that it doesn't really matter how long your quote-unquote starter goes. And the word starter, and you know, it, it's starting pitcher, it kind of is, it's exactly starter-closer, starter-closer. They're two opposites. Um, and maybe that's where this is all going. And, and with Lugo specifically, I, I do worry about that in terms of the elbow, in terms of, of the length. Uh, but again, maybe they're fine these days with getting four or five innings out of Lugo, uh, or maybe it's his dream come true, like he's been saying for all these years, and he turns into the next Jacob Degrom. Let me ask you guys this: Is it is it up to the general manager to go out there and procure a starting pitcher? That is a great question. I want you guys to opine on that. Let's not forget, trade deadline is a mu- is a week from tomorrow. Let me ask you this, uh, and uh, Sam, I'll ask you first, and I'll go to Mike. With the impending sale, does Brody have full reign to do what he has to do, and should he have that full reign? Sam, what do you think? Mm. I don't like those words that you just said. <laughs> yeah. it was like full reign and Brody probably don't go well together. So uh, haunting, haunting, especially as I'm in the haunts of old National League baseball. Mike, what do you think? I guess it depends on the size of the prize. Uh, if it's net loss zero, you know, if they're not taking on huge amounts of money, I don't think anybody's going to care. Uh, if he just goes, you know, and gets somebody who's going to chew up innings for us, no harm done. Wait, but, but let me just say in terms of, like, what he's historically been giving up. He's been giving up some pieces for, like, Billy Hamilton. So in terms of what you're talking about in terms of eating up right now, I mean, I, I, as far as I could see it, Brody's trying to save his job. So what is that going to look like if all of a sudden we have a Victor Zambrano thing on our hands? Oh, God. <laughs> that's a good reaction. Um, well, that's a very interesting point. I want to get to that, and I'm going to hold that thought for one minute because before moving to – the sale of the Mets and all that. And by the way, word about the halfway mark. You're listening to the Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike, and so happy that you are. So, guys, I do want to wrap up on the Miami series. You know, the Mets did win the first three games, and yes, I know it's the Marlins, but the Marlins were over 500. They still are. Uh, last time I checked, and um, and the Mets did beat them, and they did it with you know they bludgeoned them. Uh, on the one hand, Michael Conforto had a huge ninth inning home run after a blown save. Uh, so, you know, let's think about that. You know, that's usually the marker of a good team. Good teams get off the deck when that stuff happens. Conforto with two outs, you know, after Nimmo got on, which he does so well, Conforto hit it directly over the center field fence, and then bing, bang, you know, game closed, goodbye. So I'm going to ask you for your observations of the Miami series, anything you want to share, but I will tee you up a little bit. Diaz blowing the save. He's now the closer. Everything I'm reading is, yes, they haven't said it, but – he is now the closer based on he had been pretty good. He wasn't good in the closer role. He would have been the closer. He wasn't good in the role on, on Wednesday night. But he is the de facto closer now with Lugo in the rotation. So talk to me about that and what you saw in Miami. 
And then also the offense really kicked in. That's great. Was that bad pitching or was that the Mets offense that we've heard a lot about? And Dellen Batances, well, he had pitched five consecutive scoreless innings before he went out there on Wednesday night, and, and he, he gave it up. He didn't look good. You know, he did not look good on Wednesday night, and he's going to probably be the eighth inning guy now. So what did you see in Miami? Those are just a couple of thought starters. Go with it where you will. Sam, take it. <clears throat> well, first of all, let's start with the offense. Um, I, I think that is the most promising thing because you see – you know, people like Pete Alonso really starting to, to churn it out. Uh, Conforto continues to be clutch and, and provide a, a push and be a leader on this team when everybody kind of forgets him and, and puts, puts him aside and, and, and just doesn't talk about him enough. Um, you know, Ahmed Rosario got some good hits. Uh, he, he started to show that power again that we really hadn't seen. We hadn't really seen much uh, hitting from him all that much right now. So um, I, I think there were a lot of good signs on the offensive side. Uh, I, I, I think with Kansas, you know, he is coming off that injury. Uh, five score, he, 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 he has been very impressive of late. And so you could point to him. I mean, Familia gave up that run but was able to stave, stave it off. You know, you still have to see that Familia has made progress, but there's just something – that wasn't that 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 is no longer there. That was there during his his prime on the New York Mets. And um, you know, in terms of Edwin Diaz, you know, all, good on him to not cough that win up after Conforto uh, came in. So I, I think that that's that's basically my take uh, on overall on the Miami series, especially Pete Alonso. You got to give it to him for really starting to, you know, that average is starting to creep up. Everybody's been saying that, that Pete hasn't been doing well, but I mean, I think it's in the two sixties now. So that means he's, especially considering he started like under the Mendoza line. Uh, uh, that's the, the, those are been some of the, the good signs out of the Miami series, regardless of this idea. Listen, uh, the, the Phillies didn't make the playoffs because they couldn't beat the Marlins last year. So let's just stop coughing it up to the idea that they're facing a bad team and just, you know, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do when facing theoretical lesser opponents. Uh, they should have done that, you know, and the problem with the Mets overall and in general is that a lot of times they are be the better on paper and they, they, they show that they can beat teams like the Phillies, but then they just cough it up and end up getting swept. And, and that's just the problem is that a lot of times, we know it was right there. We know that this team had the, the, should have had the guts to get through this and sweep the Phillies, you know. And, and luckily they turned around and unfortunately were not able to, in a four-game sense, sweep the, the Miami Marlins. And then this COVID thing happened. But, you know, from a baseball perspective, there are some good signs. And, and that's just all you want from this team going forward is to just stop falling into those – that, that snowball effect of the Jeff Wilpon era. And that, that's really, you know, my take from the Miami series. Mike, take it. What did you see in the Miami series that you liked and maybe didn't like? Well, I'm going to be a little bit of a contrarian to Sam. I do believe we were playing a quadruple-A team. Uh, you know, it's odd that after playing them, we presently lead the National League and team batting average with a 268 average, yet we're only seventh in runs. We scored 24 runs against the Marlins. 
Uh, and Alonzo, Conforto, yeah, they're coming around. They did well. Uh, you know, but the Mets are always their own worst enemy. So I'll take that series with a grain of salt. We won three. That's what you need to do. Uh, as far as, you know, the series to come, well, here we are again. A great man once said, the Marlins are going to be the measure of all things. Let's see what happens Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> can, I, can I also say that uh, it's so, even though, like, it's happened to other teams, it's so Mets that it happens when we are about to enter the first Subway Series of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, I, mean, I, I just give, saw a tweet. I give a, lot of, I give a lot of credit to young, hungry players. They could beat major leaguers. I give them credit for that. I'm not taking that away from them. But when you compare it to other teams around the league, I would call them a quadruple-A team. And the Mets got fat on them. And 24 runs, you know, speaks to that when you're only seventh in the league in runs. I think that's very fair. I think the Mets did what they had to do. They played a team that, look, you know, I don't know how the hell they won all those games when they did, but it's not a very good team. The pitching is weak. Um, the team is very inexperienced. They, you know, they might they have some really good outfielders and a lot of speed on the team, but, you know, they, they just look like a team that's not ready. And so the Mets got fat on them, like Mike said, and that's what you're supposed to do. That is exactly what you're supposed to do. You're on the schedule, you play them, you beat them, and that's what they did. And the Mets have beaten them five out of six this year, including five in a row. So, uh, And we'll see if they play them Tuesday night. And to that point, I just saw a tweet seconds ago that um, – there's talk that maybe there might be two doubleheaders this weekend against the Yankees to make up two of those games. So it, it just came across. So maybe we were talking about that, you know, in scheduling and all. So we'll see. Apparently Aaron Boone said that uh, so there's quotes, some quotes here from Aaron Boone saying that that might be the case. I don't know if he's been told that to prepare for that. But, um, but anyway, that's what's out there right now. So I thought I would bring that up. And all right, gentlemen, so we're going we're gonna to move away from COVID and away from the Marlins series, go to the other topic that, that's out there for sure, and that is the impending sale of the Mets. Um, everything I'm reading is that final bids are due on the 31st of August, which is a week from tomorrow, and from what I'm reading, it's down to two. It's down to Steve Cohen and the group led by Alex Rodriguez. Now it depends on what you want to believe because people are saying Steve Cohen is the lead dog here and that he won't be outbid and how, you know, they talk about in art, um, he never lost a piece of art that he wanted because he would just outbid people and he's going to buy the Mets. Okay. Other people are saying that they're not sure that Major League Baseball owners will approve of Cohen. He does have some checkered stuff in his past and they're not sure they want to bring that in the game right now. Yes, I realize A-Rod has some checkered stuff in his past, too. Um, so it depends what you read. You know, I, I've read um, writers say that Cohen won't be approved. It's going to be A-Rod. And I've heard that, and plus Jeff Wilpon has an issue with Cohen, so he'd prefer to sell to A-Rod just to screw Cohen over. I've read that. But I've also read that Cohen, you know, if he says he wants something, Steve Cohen gets what he wants. So, Guys, um, I ask you two questions. Regardless of who it is, the sale of the Mets that we've all wanted for years is on our doorstep. How do you feel about that? And give me a ball, give me a gut. Which way is it going to go and why, Mike, we'll start with you. At the end of the day, 
business trumps all. I think they'll sell to Cohen. Uh, really, the only thing impeding the sale is Jeff. Jeffy, Jeffy. Ah. Anyway, <laughs> he's what's holding us up. You know, but at the end of the day, this is still business. I don't think they're going to be petty enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to sell to you because I don't like you. I'm going to sell to them. I don't. When it comes to business, business is business. I do believe they will sell to Mr. Cohen. Uh, just get it done, man. The only thing complicating this, again, I'll say it, is Jeff Wilpon. He's the one who stalls this. He's the one. He, he he's the pothole in, in, in an otherwise smooth road. What other team transaction have you ever heard gone this disastrously, this ponderously? It's like walking on the moon with all the craters with this guy around. So, you know, sans Jeff. Jeff Wilpon is what you find walking on the walking moon. Walking around with Jeff. You know, walking <laughs> around with Jeff. Uh that's what I think is taking this so long. And is SNY going to be involved? You know what? Because not for nothing, on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m., tired of these infomercials. And obviously we know that's where they're raking in a lot of bucks. But uh, that's where I stand on the sale. At the end of the day, business trumps business. And I think Mr. Cohen will be the one. Uh, I won't be surprised if they sell to... Uh, J-Rod, I, I won't be surprised, you know. Uh, I'm, being, I'm being surprised. So I, I'm just hoping for the best. I'm just hoping for the best. Sam, yeah, I, take you it. Know what? One it other be? thing. One other <laughs> thing. I'm sorry. One other thing. I, I saw an exchange on, on Twitter today, and I participated. Somebody said that, you know, a lot of these owners have skeleton, skeleton, uh, skeletons in their closets. And I responded, some have whole graveyards in their closets. You know, so I don't want to hear this crap. I don't want to hear this crap that, you know, uh, Mr. Cohen isn't going to get uh, vetted by the other one. You know, you're not going to pass the vetting part. I don't want to hear that. I'm not listening to that. Fair enough. Sam, which way is it going to go? So is the difference with A-Rod that his checkered past is all in the family? Is that the only difference? And, uh, you know, uh, the the Steve Cohen uh, character was uh, very nefarious outside of baseball circumstances. Um, that's where it like like the narrative I guess that baseball is offering, you know, just like the Mets kind of offered Carlos Beltran a redemption story, but in Carlos Beltran's case, it had to do with a situation on the ball field. With Arod's case, really a lot of the redemption has to do with off the ball field stuff uh, that hindered. Uh, his continuing in more games that, that he could have played because he got suspended. So it, it's interesting that the, the way baseball has a relationship with A-Rod considering uh, everything they've gone through. And, you know, I, I, I still think I, I like where Mike's going with it. But right now, uh, like, think about who we're dealing with at the top of all of baseball as well as the Wilpons. Uh, so I, I'm – I don't know. I'm holding my breath. I'm holding my breath for uh, your life. Well, it, it will be interesting. You know, I don't think we'll have an answer until October. Yes, the bids are due. But I don't think, I mean, I, I don't see why they would publicize before the season's over. That would be an incredible distraction, especially for the Mets. 
Um, but I do think you have to have a decision because the GM meetings are in November, and you have to get, have a, let a new owner – you can't have a lame duck owner going to the GM meetings plotting the course of the team for the future. So I think it has to – I think they're going to get their bids. They're going to figure out what they have to figure out. My guess would be it will be announced very shortly after the end of the season and that the, they'll have a chance to – you know, that, that owner, let's just say that owner's announced in early October – if they feel like they have to fire Brody and get somebody else, you know, they at least give them that chance so they're prepared for the 2021 season. Um, it will be interesting. Um, it's always interesting with the Mets, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But this is something, you know, uh, for what, 15 years, more, people have been begging the Wilpons to sell the team. It's here. It's happening. It, it, it's going to happen in the very near future. So it, it's a big deal in Metsville. Um, all right, guys, so – We've talked about uh, COVID. We've talked about the team's performance and some of those matters. Talked about the sale. So the other thing I mentioned at the beginning we wanted to get to was this is our 63rd episode of the Metzian podcast. We wanted to do some something related to 63 or a couple things related to 63. So we'd like to talk about the 1963 season and then uh, number 63, which we always do. We try to do the corresponding number of, of Mets who have worn that number. So let's start with the 1963 baseball season. Well, for the Mets, it wasn't a good one. Casey Stingle was the manager, and they were 51-111, and 111, which is slightly better than 1962 when they lost 120 games. They were nine games better that way. But um, uh, you, guys are, uh, you guys are more historians than I am, so I'm just going to let you run with it. So, Mike, why don't you start us? What do you want to say about the 63 season? Oh, man, you can't stop me. Uh, the 63 season. You know what? By 63, they already have two components of the 69 season. They already have Ed Cranepool and Ron Swoboda in house. Uh, but as far as this team, Ron Hunt arrives on the scene, you know? Uh, unfortunately, the two coaches from 1962 are gone, uh, and, and we don't have the coaches that we celebrated from the 62 season. But this team still had, you know, Charlie Neal was a damn good player before he arrived with the Mets. I always say that. Rock Gil Hodges was traded uh, in the 63 season. And let's not forget, I'll, I'll leave this one to Sam, uh, but this was the final year at a particular ball field, you know. Uh, but the personnel is still still fun to look at and still to, fun to imagine over and, and with and about, you know. Uh, Frank Thomas, who we had on the podcast, he was still on the team before they parted ways. And one little, one little tidbit about 1963. Duke Snyder in the New York Met uniform hits career home run number 400. Take it away. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if it was the same home run, but uh, Duke Snyder ended up hitting a walk-off home run for the 1963 New York Mets. Um, And, you know, what was so interesting, I guess, also about that season was Casey Stengel being there, uh, having played as a Giant before and also having played as a Dodger in polo grounds, Uh, not not to mention – uh, other NL teams like the Pirates. So um, there was a lot of history that intersected in that season as the Mets played out the last season of a, a very assorted ballpark that still was just always so strange to me, the way it was shaped. It, it just – talk about, like, everything we're talking about, about playing, you know, level playing field right now and, and being in a bubble. 
it's it's pretty crazy to think that they used to play in the polo grounds. I'll also throw out Cleon Jones. I'll, I'm sorry. I'll throw out Cleon Jones, a third member of the '69 Mets, who, of the '69 Mets, who's already on this team and developing. He played six games for the '63 Mets. There you go. And how how important is that? Because we all know what he did in 1969. He hit 340, but he also caught the last out, right? So, the, like you said, Mike, the elements were beginning to be put in place. Um, Gentlemen, any other thoughts on the 63 season? Maybe, ex, you know, outside of the mess, anything else that happened in baseball you might want to touch on, or are we good? I'm good. Well, I believe, I, I guess I'll just say, I believe the Yankees got swept that year. Am I wrong, Mike? In the World Series? Uh, 63, they lost. Did they get swept by the... Might have been the Dodgers and some. And the Dodgers? No, the Cardinals were sixty. The Cardinals were sixty-four, and that was a that was a, a I believe a seven-game. Uh, basically, it was the last hurrah of the Yankee dynasty, and they lost. Uh, but they, I think, their last World Series was, no, was sixty-two. I think Rich is correct. It was the Dodgers. Yankees, Dodgers, nineteen sixty-three. And what was the final? What was the final? Dodgers swept. Yeah, exactly. So I'll throw that out there, Rich. That's an interesting one, you know, because the Yankees, the Dodgers were their foil when the teams were in New York. But here the Yankees, here, here the Dodgers were. It took them to move to L.A. You know, I know they beat them once while they were in the Subway Series, but uh, took them to move to L.A. But they, but they finally kicked their butts. It must have felt great to, to those who remain Dodger fans, right? And that was indeed the end. Not yet. They still had one good year, but this was the. The closing years of the Yankee dynasty that lasted well over 40 years. Unreal. Unreal. When you think about that, I mean, I know I don't think any of us loves the Yankees being Mets fans, but um, and I certainly don't. But but when you think about the, the history of that organization and, and the, you know, sustained success, it's really unbelievable. I mean, what you just it's said, a 40-year run. I mean, it's incredible. And then, you know, look at the Braves. You know, look at the Braves. With I think what was it, fifteen straight division titles? That is a hell of a run, and to be able to sustain sustain success like that, with players coming and going, you know, faces changing, all of that, you you have to take the cast of the organization. Can we just also sure. throw out the the Yankees? You know, in terms of the Braves, like the Braves' run of division championships also shows you how hard it is to win a championship. And I don't think we're going to see the likes of the Yankees ever again. I guess the closest we've come recently is the Giants, who won three out of about six seasons, I believe. Um, but I, I just think, I think that there's more parity in baseball now, and I just don't think we're going to see something like that ever again. Maybe I'm wrong. Let us not forget that back in those days when you won your league, you went straight to the World Series. There were no playoffs. You won your pennant and you went straight to the World Series. Now we have three layers. Four if you want to include a wild card. Good point. That that does change things. You you don't have a chance to get knocked off in the playoffs. And, uh, yeah, that is a huge factor. And maybe that did contribute. I mean, not so much to the Braves because we had the LCS, you know, when they had their run. But but thinking back to the Yankees, they didn't have a chance to lose in in a playoff round. That's a really good point. So, all right, um, I think that's probably it. On 1963, unless anybody has anything else. Nope, All right. 
we will move to number 63 in Mets history. And my goodness, is it a short list. Um, so this, Yeesh. unlike other ones, uh, yeah, unlike other ones that are short, a lot of them go way back, you know, 1962, the kind of a thing, but this one doesn't. Short list, three people, but these are all modern, very modern era Mets. Chris Schwinden, uh, we all know, is a pitcher, uh, war number 63, as did Gabriel Enoa, who I remember him making starts down the stretch of the 2016 season. So Schwinden was September of 11 through May of 12. Enoa was a Met um, very briefly, basically from August of 16 through the end of the 16 season. And again, I remember him making a couple of starts going down the stretch. I think I was out in one of those games uh, against the Phillies, if I remember correctly. And then Tim Peterson who there's a guy who gets DFA'd every five minutes. It's like Tim Peterson. Yeah. I remember they called him up there. They were in Atlanta. And it's like, well, this guy's not really a great prospect, doesn't throw really hard, but he pitched really well in that game in 2018. And then they DFA him, then they bring him back, then they DFA him, then they bring him back. And it just seems like he's like Mr. DFA. You know, he, he's, the, he's the guy that you get rid of to make room on the roster. Poor Tim Peterson. But that's it. That, that's all I have here. For for Mets who have won who have worn number sixty three so so Sam let's start with you what do you think anything uh-huh. you want to add anything well can I I think the the really the only thing that I, I will say is that the next few episodes uh, are basically players that only the Wiltons would think of giving these uniform numbers yeah. <laughs> So, anything on Schwinden, Enoa, or Peterson? I just like it's just that's the thing. It's just seeing these names. I mean, Mike, I, I, Gabriel Enoa was a prospect for a hot second, right? I'm yeah. glad you went there. I got a great story about Gabriel Enoa. Great, maybe not, depending on how you take it. He played for the Brooklyn Cyclones in 19. Yeah, listen to that. 1912. I was going to say 2012. Uh, and of course you guys, <laughs> and of course you guys know, uh, you know when the season's in session, I'm there. In 2012, the Brooklyn Cyclones starting rotation, and I'll extend it even to six pitchers, but their starting five was a record-setting rotation in the New York Penn League. They were out friggin' standing, all five of them performance, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Gabriel uh, Yanoa, he went 5-2 and two in 13 starts, posted a 2.23 ERA, uh, averaged 7.5 strikeouts per nine innings only, at, or only, I should say, 1.2 walks per nine innings. I mean, and the whole staff was like that. Like I said, it was the New York Penn League. It was a record-breaking staff. And it just goes to show, you know, a, that short season A ball is a hard uh, hard level to gauge any player, really. Uh, and where are they today? Well, we know Luis Sessa is kicking around uh, as uh, a reliever in the major leagues today. Uh, and the only one, only other one would be Hansel Robles. And we know his history with the Mets. Uh he went six and one that season with a one point one one ERA, twelve starts, seventy two innings pitched, which is, you know, in sync with New York Penn League short season, twelve thirteen starts, anywhere between seventy and eighty innings pitched, 
Hansel Robles, 1.11 ERA. Gabriel Yanoa, uh, 2.23 ERA. Nobody had an ERA out of those starting five and six starting pitchers had an ERA above 2.91. Again, a record-setting starting rotation of the New York Penn League in 2012. And it just goes to show the progression through the levels and what they ultimately wind up as major leaguers. Some some guys don't make it, you know. Uh, there's two guys on this list who didn't make it. So it just goes to show. There you go. And that, folks, is number 63. And I remember I remember that, Mike, because I remember, you know, it was supposed to be, you know, they thought he was, you know, the next up-and-comer. And, you know, it just didn't stick around. I, I believe he uh, – the database I'm looking at only has Mets information, but I believe he surfaced somewhere else. Um, was it Washington or somewhere? And um, and he ended up with another team for a while, but but never really panned out. And isn't it interesting, you know, they talk about prospects. You just gave that statistic for that rotation in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, it, it's such a crapshoot. And speaking of which, let, let's just touch on this real quick. Um, the Mets added Matthew Allen, who I believe was their number one draft choice or very high draft choice in 2019, hard-throwing pitcher. They added him to the um, to the alternate site, which is interesting because you know, everybody's saying that they're very worried that Brody's going to trade the guy, you know, that, they, that he added him there to showcase him a little bit. Um, let's hope that's not the case. But any thoughts on that? Mike, Mike I'll start with you. Oh, man. No, I was just going to say that, that uh, I, I hope that's not the case. Um, you know, he was really talked highly about when they drafted him, and hopefully they're not looking to trade him like every other prospect they, they've had under Brody's. I mean, they've, you know, they've drafted well at the same time, but, you know, I, I don't want all of these pieces used, which seems to be what's going on in many ways. Let's hope not. Mike, any thoughts on that? I mean, are you, are you a little worried about Brody doing his Brody thing and trading a lot of prospects oh, yeah. on deadline? Uh, I'm definitely worried about that. Yeah, without a doubt. He's up to something. Uh, you have to be. That's what he gets paid to do. Even if you have no intentions of, you know, pulling the string, you have to, you have to still plan. You always got to stay three steps ahead. So I don't fault him for, you know, setting up his pins, but I think he's going to be the one who falls. Mm. I think I think that's a given. I, I mean, honestly, I, I can't see how, since it's so common for new owners to replace the level beneath them in any any line of work anywhere, especially in sports. And let's face it, Brody Brody's track record isn't good. You know, it, it isn't. It, it, it's unfortunate. He's done a couple. I mean, the J.D. Davis acquisition. I know he gave up something to get him. I get that. But at the same time, J.D. Davis has, has turned out to be a, a solid piece. But in general, you know, he saddled the organization with Cano's contract, although Cano's leading team in hitting. But it's a lot of money for a guy who's 38 and still for three more years. So, um, you know, I think his body of work just, just isn't that great. His drafting has been good, but I'm not sure that's him. I think that and, clearly is, is his lieutenants. And just to be concerned. Hey, that's him. Like, just to say that, like, that's, that's him hiring those guys. So you got to give credit to him for that. And, you know, just to be spiteful and, contra- and, and a contrarian, keep an eye out on the guys he traded away. Keep, a, keep an eye out on Anthony Kay. Look at his numbers. He's doing damn good. You know, keep an yep. eye on Dunn and, and see what he'll be doing and, and, and Kellenic And, you know, just keep an eye on it. And these are check marks against Brody's record. 
So one more before we get to the last word. I'm looking through Twitter here, and I see that our friend Jeff Cohen posed a question, and he asked why Mets pitchers can't stay healthy. But I'm going to bring that question up a notch. You could certainly comment on Mets pitchers staying healthy, but I'm not sure if you saw, I believe it's the aforementioned James Paxton from the Yankees who had a, has an elbow thing going on, and it's a grade one strain, and he said this week that the reason pitchers across baseball are having a difficult time staying healthy is because of the short spring training, you know, and the compressed and all that spring training too, I should say, or summer camp, whatever you want to call it, that he's saying that it was clearly that. And I don't think that that's rocket science to say it, but um, so Jeff asked that question, why can't Mets pitchers stay healthy? Uh, Paxson saying he feels the reason pitchers aren't healthy in general is because of the short summer camp. Sam, what do you think? It could, it could be a possibility. I mean, uh, Everything's wonky across generally uh, behind the the curve, um, and the pitchers were ahead of them, but maybe because they were amped up too much when it finally was announced. You know, all different types of things that we could speculate as to why it, it went that way. So um, uh, it, it could very well be, but I guess we'll have to see how it also carries over into next season because. Uh, everybody's going to still be affected by this in many ways. I mean, you know, we're just going to see the echoes of this for a couple of years. Uh, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. Good point. Is, is it limited to this year, or might we see impact down the line? That's a great point. Mike, what are your thoughts? Uh, three quick ones. With regards to 2020, you know, summer camp, the break, spring training, all conducive to injuries. I'll say that much. Injuries overall? I don't know. We we could spend the whole podcast trying to figure that one out. And then lastly, you know, let's bring up Noah Syndergaard. Who didn't see that coming? I'll end it with that. There you have it. All right, you've been listening to the Metzian Podcast, episode number 63. And with that, we have hit the final word. So it's been a pleasure talking baseball with with both of you, as always, my good friends, Mike and Sam. So I'm going to do something a little different. So when I ask you for your final word, Mike, if you could just remind folks where they could find you on Twitter and some of the work you do. I know you do work over and above this podcast. Sam, same thing. So please give me your last word and then just remind people where they could find you out there in the social media world. So, Mike, take it. Very simply, you can find me on the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. It's not difficult. It's just a spin on the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers. Uh, it's primarily a baseball blog, but I incorporate my whole life in Brooklyn along with the nine metropolitan area teams. Uh, it's where I have fun. I hope you enjoy. Come give, it, give me a visit. Otherwise, my last word is uh, stay safe. Uh, you know, above all else, our concern goes out to the player, and it turns out it's a coach from the Mets organization organization who contracted the virus. So to them, to their families and loved ones, you know, I wish them uh, health, peace, and calm. But to all players and all athletes in all all the sports, this is a dangerous endeavor. So I wish them all luck and health. Well said, Sam. Remind us where we could find you. I know you do some other work over and above this podcast. And what's your last word? Uh, thank you, Rich, uh, as always, and uh, this is uh, Sam Maxwell. You can find me, uh, you know, uh, I, I have a vast amount of converted Mets fan 
uh, at convertedmetsfan.blogspot.com. Uh, even if I'm not currently really writing on it, uh, you can find plenty of thoughts about the Mets there. Uh, you can find me at, under, uh, at underscore, uh, the underscore Sam Maxwell uh, and also at Bedford Sullivan, uh, which is my screenwriting endeavor that I am hoping uh, to turn into an HBO-style TV series about Brooklyn and the Dodgers one day. Uh, plenty of podcasts over on that. Uh, you can find that at facebook.com backslash Bedford and Sullivan Brooklyn as well. And um, my last word is basically possibly popular. Um, I'm not sure how much spin was put on it, but I believe it was Jeff uh, Passan of ESPN, correct me if I'm wrong at the end, Rich, uh, that said that ratings are up for baseball, but the people that are, are leaving it behind are the elder males, uh, over 54, I believe, was the cutoff, and that the younger crowd is watching this. So maybe something is now working with what baseball is trying to do to get the young crowd back, uh, and it's driving the bah humbugs away. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? Well, let, let me jump on that because you're 100% correct. 69% ratings are up on the ESPN games, and I, well, Fox is also doing national games, but 69% up on the national broadcast, which is phenomenal and fantastic. But among the 55 and over, they're down, just like you just said. And it's interesting, I was at a gathering yesterday outside, socially distant, um, and there I was talking to a bunch of guys, you know, essentially 50 and over, and most of them were like, you know, I don't like the stupid rule, second base and extra innings. And, and it was the bah humbug. You nailed it. And, I th- and I, when, when I read that, I said to myself, the get-off-my-lawn guys are the ones who are saying, you know, I don't want to watch it this year. These rules are stupid. And that's exactly what these people said yesterday, I, probably six or seven people. They said, the reason I'm not watching is the stupid rules. It's the get-off-my-lawn crew. And it just fits. But anybody want to add to that? I might be one. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I might be one. I don't like any of the rule changes. I'm sorry. I don't. I grew up watching uh, the breakup of the swinging A's and the domination of the big red machine. I believe players should police themselves on the field. I don't like when legislation interferes because the guy who always, you know, initiates the infraction always gets away with it. The person who retaliates always gets in trouble. You know, that's a, that's a stretch, but I can't stand the new rules. I like old style baseball. It's the way I was raised by my family. That's the way I was taught to play. You don't hurt anybody, but you play hard and you play tough and you play to win, you know, and, and, but you play clean. You take out the second baseman on a double play attempt cleanly, you know, and if, if the guy offers you a, a little piece of that base to slide into, you take that, you know. Otherwise, fielders know what they assume. Catchers know what they assume when they block a plate and they don't have the ball yet. I hate these rules. And the more the modern game pisses me off, thank goodness for my blog, I delve deeper in the past. The more 2020 pisses me off, the more I look towards 1920. That's, that's, my, that's my reaction. That's, my, you know, that's when I go into avoidance mode. Honestly, 
very so very fair. Honestly, I don't like the rule changes. I like the game the way it was, and I'm 53. I've watched everything from the DH till the present moment in all leagues, not just baseball, and I'm agreeable to change. I invite change. Change is necessary. I welcome change. Change is great. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm behind change. I shake my pom-poms at change. But what's going on to me is beyond change. To me, it's needless legislation when I believe that the game should be self-policing. Yes, there's always that one or two people who take it too far. And now we live in the age of extremes, so here we are. And that's what pisses me off. There's no such thing as a moderate. There you go. And I'll tell you what. (laughs) I'll leave it with this. I love the conversation. Thank you so much for bringing that up, Sam. I love this conversation because it's so interesting. Um, And, again, is it? I, I think I'm pretty comfortable in saying that the 55 and over where the demographic is down. And these guys I talked to yesterday, I think, do represent, you know, it was a random sampling. I didn't know these guys were going to be at this gathering. I didn't even know them. It was They're from other circles. And, um, and you know, they all said the rules, right? And, and I do think it's probably true that a lot of the 55 and overs are, are saying it's the rules. And now, are the younger people watching baseball because of the rule changes, or are they watching it because they've been starved for sports? That we don't know. We don't know what's driving that behavior. And also, in that 69%, they said it was being driven by young people, 1849, but also females. Female viewership of baseball is, is going through the roof for some reason. Is that the rules? Or are they bored? Who the hell knows, right? But that, that's, we don't know the reason why, but we know the fact. Um, so I will leave it with this, that when I heard – Mike, I'm going to run when I say this. Um, when I heard about the, the, the starting at second base thing, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Are, that is the dumbest freaking thing I've ever heard. I am going to say that I'm not saying I want it permanently. I've enjoyed it. I, I honestly have. I got home in time last night to watch the extra innings with the Orioles and Red Sox and, and one extra inning. And the Red Sox scored in the top. But the thing is, if that run scores in the top of the inning, the home team automatically has a winning run at the plate in the bottom of the inning. And the Orioles ended up scoring two and winning the game. And in the, you know, three, maybe three to five games I've watched, as reluctant as I am to say this, it's kind of exciting. It kind of is. And I'm not saying I want it permanently. And maybe it's just a freak show. Maybe it's like a carnival freak show. You know, it's novel. But I have enjoyed it. Anyway, with that said, guys, any last words um, over and above? And mine is healthy as well because we love baseball, we love sports, but, you know, when it hits home like that, let's just hope whoever these people are at the Mets and anyone in society who has the the coronavirus that, you know, we can get rid of this stupid thing and that anybody affected um, has a quick and speedy recovery. And it is very sobering. It's sobering when it comes home like that and hit your team, you know, and us in the tri-state area, although we're all doing well now, we were doing very poorly in the spring, and we all know people who had it and how awful this thing is, and it really is a very sobering reminder. So that, that's my last word. Um, gentlemen, this has been an absolute pleasure, and I have to say I absolutely loved the last 10 minutes. That was a lot of fun, kind of unplanned, and sometimes that's best. Thank you guys for talking baseball with me tonight. Thank you to the listeners for um, for listening to the Metsian podcast. And unless you guys have anything else, I'll invite Sam to take us out the way he, only he knows how. 
Till we get to say it again in front of the Mets, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Good night, everyone. Thank you. All right, bye now. Good night, everyone. Later, guys. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 